Thanks for tuning in to your day off podcast, hosted by your boys, Corey and Tony. I think by the end of today, I might have another best friend. They're committed to making you fall in love with the hair industry, one podcast at a time. Uh, you're going to grab a lot of information. Yeah, you're going to learn a lot. Presented by Hair Industry. Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. Your day off podcast will begin after a word from our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm sitting with my best friend Tony. What's up, buddy? What's going on, bro? So uh you'll hear a little audio difference. Tony is uh tuning in from his house today, but that's not a big deal. We've done this a couple of times, you know. That's one of the uh that's one of the uh the thankfuls of that thing we don't talk about anymore is that we get to spend a lot of time um, you know, on on video camera with each other. Yeah, and and you know, it's not the same though. You know, I would rather be next to you. I enjoy being next to you. And it makes it probably a little easier for the guests to see us both in one screen. But, you know, it's sometimes it, it has to be this way. Yeah, it, it is what it is, right? Well, I appreciate yep. it. I like when you rub my back and stuff when I start crying and stuff. So that's all good, too. Um, <laughs> my shoulder there for you to lean on. Exactly. I've been, on. Yeah, I mean, lean on each other for a long time now, my brother. Yep. So, uh, you know, what's interesting or what's very cool is... Uh, this happened last year when we were in Zion at, at Hair Love. We got to meet a bunch of people in the desert, and and we ended up we brought them in as guests, and we got some great uh, we got some great conversations out of it. And then this year, the same thing. You know, we were back at Hair Love. This time, it was in um, Texas, Dripping Springs, Texas, which. I don't know why I just like to say that dripping Springs, um, <laughs> Texas. Um, but yeah, we met a bunch of people, you know, in the, uh, at the campground there and, uh, and we get to do some content and today's, today's no different. That's, that, that's kind of what we're getting into, um, today. It's right out outside of Austin and, uh, I didn't see any Springs. Uh, <laughs> we, we walked where I I saw any water. used to be, I, it kind of dried up, but. Yeah, I didn't see any springs. <laughs> <laughs> no, me, me. We saw a wire, well, winery though, right next door. But uh, you they know, make their own springs. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, some people went over there and had a couple of drinks or or some some wine events there. Um, yeah. I think our guest today might have had a couple of drinks. So I, our guest today, it's actually weird. So our guest today is Kira Doyle, and and what's interesting about Kira is the more that we started to chat with her down there. The more friends we have, I didn't realize how many uh, how many like mutual friends we we had with her, and I think she, shot the shot the shot the let us know, but I, I think she sat in with a podcast with us that I wasn't aware that she was there, but uh, but we'll kind of get into that story um, as well, I'm sure. So um so Kira's up to some some interesting stuff. We um she she does human design, and I don't know if it's a human design program or what human design is. I love the fact that we know nothing about human design as we get into this conversation, because I think all the questions that we'll have would just be layman questions, which I would imagine like, you know, most of the people that are listening and will have the same layman kind of questions for it. So, so I think it's a good opportunity. Yeah. I, just the curiosity of it all. Cause uh, just a little bit that we talked about, 
like you said, we have no clue. Uh, I am so curious and so eager to to learn more about it. Absolutely, absolutely intrigued. I think is the word that that, yeah. that I want to that I want to lead with. Okay, Austin, should we get in? Let's do it. Let's do it, Miss Kira Doyle. Welcome to your day off, man. Uh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. We're excited uh, to have you. So, so okay, was I right? Did you sit in with the podcast with us? Yeah, yes, for a little while. For a little while, I popped in when you were uh, interviewing the mentees from the Matrix Mentor Me program. I think that was 2000. It was 2020. And 19, yeah, yeah, 2000, uh, 2020. Yeah, it was Matrix Destination uh, 2020, and we, we were interviewing Tabitha and all the Matrix mentees. And uh, I, I'm sorry, like, I don't, when Tabitha's in the room, I don't recognize anybody else. So, you know, I apologize if you, if you were, if you were, if you were running in the room there, but um, so you were, so kind of, where are you from? Um, I was born and raised in Rhode Island. I wanted to say in a small town of Rhode Island, but Rhode Island is already such a small state. Like, I think you can just say Rhode Island. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so I was born there. I went to college in Boston and then I just spent 11 years living in New York City and actually just moved out. Really? So you're like, you're, aside from Manhattan, like you're New England through and through and through. Through and through and through. Yeah. Rhode Island. Uh, we've talked about that because we always go to the beach every year. You know, usually we head south. We're from Maryland or or east. But uh, we talk about for some reason, like uh, Rhode Island has come up about the beaches and they're supposed to have really nice beaches. And we've talked about heading up there one day uh for vacation but we just never have so is it worth the travel up uh absolutely i actually live right now i live in connecticut and i'm about a 10 minute or less depending on how quickly i walk walk to the beach which is like my dream i always wanted to live near the beach and i still miss the rhode island beaches there's so, I, right now i also i live on the on the sound so it's not as vast and wide open but there's something about rhode island beaches the sand feels different the views like you just look out and you get those feelings like you're on the edge of the world you know it's beautiful and uh it's salty it's so salty so it's different than i remember even being in hawaii and like looking out and being like okay this is next level but the ocean feels different in rhode island i can't really explain why it just feels, it feels different. It's so magical. Yes, absolutely. You should go. So, so what's the preferred beach up there? Or is there yeah. one, there's only one? This is like Rhode Island beach. Because <laughs> oh, so much of Rhode Island is a beach, but uh, the there's one that the locals go to. So everyone will talk about going to Narragansett and that it kind of can be a local beach, but a really cool little gem is going to Jamestown. It's more private. I shouldn't be saying this on air. Um, and it's absolutely, it's absolutely beautiful. And it's so much quieter uh, in Jamestown. And then I grew up on Scarborough Beach, which is another, it's a big public beach. I don't know why we chose that one, but that's where most of my memories are. It's like learning how to boogie board and <laughs> drinking Dell's lemonade. When I was little, we spent like almost every day we would go and we wouldn't leave until the sun, the sun set. And I'm very fair. So it was not good for, I was always, <laughs> I always had to wear a t-shirt like two days into the summer. My mom would be like, Kira has to wear the t-shirt. And my brother and my sister would get really tan. 
and it wasn't fair. I had to, I was the girl. Like, well, all the locals so at Jamestown, all the locals at Jamestown Beach is going to hate you now because all of a sudden they're going to have this big <laughs> influx of new tourists. <laughs> I'm like, oh, how'd you hear about it, Kara? <laughs> you know, Kara Doyle. Yeah, yeah. The girl, yeah, the girl with the T-shirt. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> It's so hard to swim in a t-shirt in the ocean. We are like tumbling over yourself. You get like a big balloon, you know? Sure. So I always had the zinc, the zinc and the t-shirt. Oh, what a treat. And you're married, huh? I left those days behind me in Rhode Island. When I moved to New York, I became a totally different girl. I just dressed in black and no one ever knew. And no zinc. No, no on her nose. Oh my gosh! Do people do that? Like, it's like a bad '80s movie. Like I see the guy with like the the zinc nose. Yeah, <laughs> but they were cool colors. Like they had neon green and pink. I think it was a cool way to express yourself before there was hair color. You know, like you yeah, fair just... enough. Just put on your nose, right? Wear it forward. Oh my gosh! So <laughs> Rudolph cool. in the summer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My grandpa used to say, Kira looks like a lobster. That was, lobster. <laughs> he was born in Brooklyn. Like he looks like a lobster because I was always bright red. I, it, it was it, cl clearly I have some trauma around it. So <laughs> she looks like a lobster wearing a shirt. <laughs> I was. I was a lobster wearing a t shirt. Oh so, Kira, so how did you find our industry? Oh my gosh. Uh, so, I grew up. Really interestingly enough, I grew up in around in and around theater. I loved uh, performing. I loved acting. My grandparents were born and raised in Brooklyn, and they used to bring my siblings and I into into New York City a couple of times a year. We'd go see a Broadway show. Uh, I'm actually going with my grandma next weekend to see a Broadway show, and I'm so excited because it's so nostalgic. We don't even know what we're seeing yet. We're just going into Something. the city to see a Broadway show. Yeah. But I grew up, I grew up in an in around theater and I, I loved it so, so, so much. And I ended up um, getting hurt in a play. I, I, I already had, a, had torn my ACL and I was in a Susical, the musical play. And a couple of weeks before uh, the, the, the play was to happen, I, I did like a backflip that I landed, but I landed weird on the outside of my foot and I tore my ACL for the second time. I was like, 17 years old this was unheard of that you would tear your ACL even once before that age the first time I was 12 years old I was skiing the, the second time I was 17 and I same had to leg? sit out same knee yeah so same mm -hmm. same ACL twice I, and I think that that was why it happened the second time actually because it, it was probably you know from the first injury but anyway right. I ended up having to sit out on the sidelines and I was so sad that I started playing, I still wanted to go to the rehearsals and I still really hoped I could be in the play, uh, but I was on crutches, I was icing, but I would still go to the, to the rehearsals because my brother was also in the play and I'd watch him and I started playing around with hair, just sitting there. I would start, I started realizing, I, I remember one year I made this Halloween costume. I, I was like, um, what's her name from The Grinch? The little girl, I can't remember her name. Cindy Lou Who. Cindy Lou Who. I did say, like, a, I threw like a, a birthday hat on top of my head and I gathered all my hair on top of the birthday hat and I made this crazy, like, Cindy Lou Who hairstyle and everyone loved it. So I started playing around with like what I could get my hands on. Like, I, I went to the craft store, I got like styrofoam balls and cones 
And I started sitting down in my chair with my leg up doing all the girl's hair to make Susical hairstyles. And the following year, they had another play. Um, I decided not to be in it just because I wanted to just do the hair for the, the play. So I, I did so many braids. It was Aida. We did braids and be, it was just like the most incredible experience. And I remember everyone getting excited to go perform. And I was excited because I, all my hair was going to walk out on stage. Right. Um, so it was really addicting. And I think from there, I started doing hair for father-daughter dances and dances. And I said, and I just said, I'm going to go to cosmetology school and I'm going to become a hairdresser. And my dad said, no, you're not. You need to go get a college degree. And then if you still desire to, you can go work in hair. And it really was from a place of love because my father worked as, he worked in construction. He had his own business and he never went to college. And when he was in his 40s, he injured his back, which clearly we know where I got it from because I've had <laughs> so many injuries. Like my dad and I like talk about our surgeries and our injuries all the like we just we have like it's an ongoing conversation. Like, how's your foot? How's your back? How's your like we just back and forth, right? So he I think he saw I was already following in his footsteps of agility. And he said, you know, he, he really needed me to go get a degree so I'd have something to fall back on if ever in the case I got hurt like he did. My dad ended up having to leave his business and go get a job. He started working at Home Depot and he's this brilliant guy and he like couldn't figure out his place in the world. And I think he just wanted to protect me for, you know, and make sure that I would always have a, a, another path. So I did, like I was told, I enrolled in school. I went to school in Boston, Suffolk University. And my freshman year was kind of, I was just playing around with what it meant to be free and not have rules. I grew up in a very Catholic family. And so I just wanted to see like what would happen if I did the opposite of everything I had ever been told and just like <laughs> go crazy. So my freshman year was not the most productive, but I remember even then, even at like 18 years old, I'd go to bed and I would get this really sad feeling inside of like, I need to be working at a hair salon on Newberry street. That was what I believed my trajectory would be. I'm going to get a job on Newberry street. I'm going to start, you know, I'll sweep the floors. I'll answer the phones. And I'm going to meet people and then they're going to connect me to the industry. And I had such a strong feeling that's what I needed to do. And I was getting so down on myself, but I really didn't have the courage to go apply and to go work, work in a space, just cold Turkey. And so I did the next best thing that I felt comfortable doing, which was I'm going to go get a job at Aldo, Aldo shoe store. Cause that feels oh, yeah. attainable. Aldo's in my backyard. <laughs> and maybe if I can get some cool shoes, and so well, it was like in, right in the downtown crossing in, in Boston where I lived. And I was like, maybe if I get like cool at Aldo, then I'll like look cool. And then I can walk into, because at this point I hadn't been working. I had like no money. I was like, was wearing just the college kids uniform of sweatshirts and t-shirts. I just felt so like not, I wasn't a vibe, you know? So I'm going to go to Aldo and I walk in, I do my interview and they hire me and I sign the paperwork. And I came around the corner and I ran into someone from my English class and he said, why are you smiling so much? I said, oh, because I just got a job at Eldo. Isn't that so cool? He said, that's amazing. I just got a job at a hair salon on Newberry Street. And I said, oh. <laughs> so he said, they're actually hiring for another receptionist. And I connected to the salon. And um, the salon owner's name is Michael Albor. 
And Michael Albor is the, I can truly say that he is the reason that I am who I am today, that I'm where I am today. He brought me in knowing absolutely nothing about the industry. I started working behind his front desk. Uh, then the following year, their manager left kind of suddenly, and he gave me the opportunity to become the manager of the salon. And I rearranged all of my classes to be night classes so that I could work all week, like as a manager. And the shift in my identity and the purpose that I had in myself when I was running that salon, I was the one opening it up in the morning. I was locking it up at night. I was pulling our reports. I was getting our staff meetings together. Like I had never felt so driven and so purposeful in my entire life. And I knew I needed to be there. And then my I graduated and my life kind of took a little bit of a different turn again. I knew that my real dream was to live in New York City. It always has been. Ever since I was little, my grandparents would bring me into the city. I was like, I need to live in New York. So I said, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to figure out what I do from there. And I was kind of sidetracked. I ended up getting a pretty good job offer in Boston that I took. And uh, I thought, I'll go to New York next year. <laughs> and then I had to, I ended up having to leave. Like I got myself in a, in a corporate, in a corporate job. And it just wasn't working. And I finally got the courage to leave. Flash forward, I moved to New York City and my life is like in crumbles. I think I came with a duffel bag uh, and just of some dreams and maybe $300. And I was living on a friend's couch. And the, the way the circumstances played out, we could have a whole podcast about my moving to New York, but this is about the beauty industry. So I'm just going to, I'm going to say that. <laughs> and if anyone ever wants to grab a glass of wine with me, I have a story for you that you won't even believe about how I moved to New York city. But I, I was trying to make it in, in the city and I was just trying to survive and get enough money to go to cosmetology school, which I eventually did. And I applied for, um, there was a grant from Beauty Changes Lives, who I'm still so grateful for today. And I was in a position where I had enrolled in school that was accepted at a rojo. I did not know, I could barely pay my rent. I, when I say I couldn't afford a banana, like which is like 50 cents, there were days when I would be wanting to get a banana at the bodega and I'd be like, you, you can't buy that today. Like that's where I was, uh -huh. but here I am applying for this, like inc the most incredible, uh, cosmetology school. So I enrolled, I was accepted and I decided I was just going to make it work. I had gotten a job at a lounge. And so I was serving cocktails, you know, in the, in, in Midtown East. Uh, and it was late at night. I, I could take the late shift so I could work six o'clock into two in the morning. And so I said, I'm going to do those and I'm going to make the money and I'm going to pay for school. and I'm going to pay for my rent. And I think I was two weeks into, into cosmetology school, like red eyes, just from never sleeping, exhausted, thinking I have to do this for seven months. Like, how am I gonna do this? Uh, when my cosmetology school teacher walked in and said there was a winner for the Beauty Changes Live Scholarship and she's right here in this room. And I was like, <laughs> and they said my name and I, I literally like from a movie, like fell on the ground, like, oh my God, I have half of my school paid which meant that I only had to work half of my weeknights at this lounge uh, in order, and so I could focus on school a little bit more. And so I went through school there. I got a job at a really trendy, very beautiful downtown salon when I graduated an apprenticeship. And I started realizing pretty quickly that the energy there wasn't, it wasn't really the space that I wanted to be in because it didn't feel like they were as obsessed with growth 
I remember feeling disappointed because I said, does anyone ever enter into Naha? And they're like, no. Does anyone ever do photo? No. Does, and I felt like I, I wanted so much more, but I really also recognized the value of the education I was getting there and the color techniques I was learning were like out of control. So I stayed for a while until it kind of felt like the universe was pushing me out. I would go to work sometimes and they had like a set of five stairs you have to walk up to get into the building. And I would stop on like the second stair and feel like I had to, do you ever felt like that? Oh, like yeah. you have to push yourself in to a space. Like it was, it, it just, the space did not want me. What's actually really funny is I'm going to bring back the knee injury. This comes full circle. <laughs> I was working on these floors. They had a top and a bottom floor running up a set of stairs. It was concrete. And I was doing, I was a, an assistant. I was doing shampoos. I was like doing the blow dries. I was putting so much pressure on my, my bad knee um, that I ended up destroying like what was left of the cartilage in my knee. And it had come up and like gotten all frayed. And so my knee was constantly swollen. And I finally went to go see a knee doctor. And he said, we have to do a surgery and take the cartilage out because you're going to have arthritis and not be able to walk at the age of 40 years old if we don't intervene right now. Right. And he also said, I want you to think long and hard about the type of career you want to cultivate for yourself. I was spending my evening still working at the lounge because as an assistant, you make $8 an hour. Right. I was working there all day. I was never not on my physical body as my vessel. And he said, it's not going to be a long career if you can't start taking care of yourself. So we scheduled a surgery and I take a couple weeks off. And during that time, my soul said, it's time to go. But my brain said, everyone's going to be disappointed. You use the medical leave. You can't leave your stylist because I was an assistant. Um, at what's going to happen? You don't have another job. You owe them. You're indebted. You have to go back. So I go back with my knee brace on after, you know, four weeks. I'm not, I can't make this up. I fell down a flight of stairs and broke my foot. What? Like two days after I went back to work, I fell down a flight <laughs> of stairs and I broke my other foot. So my right foot was broken and my left leg was in a cast. And I went to work the next day with my boot on and my, and, and the clients were like, what is, this is, it isn't even fun to go get a blow out here. Like, why is this girl like hobbling around? I was just like, oh, I, I, that was the type of person I was then. And I, I have so much love for her because, but it was very much about like, I cannot take care. I can't put myself first. I have to show up. I have to serve. And I think so many people in our industry are like that. Like we really think about everybody else's needs. Oh, there's a full book tomorrow. I'm sick. That's okay. I'll just go in. I think, you know, the pandemic has taught us a lot about your health, mm -hmm. but for me, it was uh, like suffering was no problem. If it meant that it was going to be okay uh, for everyone else. I see so, you walking to your blow dry, like, like Frankenstein, right? Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, <sighs> yes. There was so much of that and it really was for me what i what i've had to look at later in my life is like i wore that struggle like a badge of honor anytime something was incredibly difficult and i had to sacrifice myself that was something i was really proud of like i was i was proud of that like yes i'm still here right knock me down and get back up not thinking about 
you maybe deserve some grace. You deserve to take a couple weeks off. Like I just really, I really valued the part of me that was such a fighter. And I think moving into New York City brought a lot of that out of me. But I had to decide that I wasn't going to continue to physically put myself through this this type of suffering. Walking in in so much physical pain, as well as um, emotional emotional pain into a space that I didn't want to be in. I had wanted to not be there before my surgery. I had wanted to not be there before my broken foot. And here I am in shambles, still showing up. And so what ended up happening was I was late for work, leaving my doc, leaving a doctor's appointment for my, le- my leg and foot, of course. <laughs> and I was running toward the subway, running, hobbling, right? Like as fast as I could get there before the train was going to leave. And I accidentally, I was in such a rush, rush and such a fluster that I swiped my badge on the wrong um, side. So I was, I was going northbound when I needed to go southbound. And it's a monthly pass. So what happens with the monthly passes is they take 15 minutes from the minute you swipe them to refresh. So I, ha- I would have to wait 15 minutes to go down the right side because it doesn't want you, it doesn't want me to swipe it and then to pass the pass to Corey and go, all right, all you know, right now, right, now right, you right. take my pass, right? Because I've paid for an all-inclusive monthly pass. So I have this 15-minute period and that's really going to make me late for work, really late for work. And I cl- clearly I am so uncomfortable at this point to let them know I had a doctor's appointment that I'm going to be 15 minutes late. Like for me, I was terrified. So I ended up going down the right side of the subway where I needed to be. And I'm trying to speak to the attendant and say, this is the monthly pass that I have. I swiped it. I need to get through on the other side. My train is going to come and I, I know I can't be late for work. And meanwhile, someone had walked off the train and opened up this, this door, this exit door. It's like an emergency exit door that you're not supposed to open because it makes the, everything's wide open. You can walk in or out and it's blaring. The alarms are blaring. And she looks at me, she's looking me in the eyes and she goes, miss, I can't activate your pass, but she's nodding in the direction of the emergency door. And I was like, um, I know, but I need you to do it. I need you to activate my pass. And she's like, miss, I can't do that. Nods again in the direction of the emergency door that's still wide open, blaring with the alarm. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be late for work. And she looked at me and she goes, go through the door. And I had to oh my God. Okay. So she gave me permission, right. To do the thing that I'm not supposed to do. So I walk through the door. My, my train comes, I walk right through the doors of the subway. I walk off the train into my job, into the manager's office. And I said, I can't work here anymore. And it really took someone giving me permission to do the thing that I thought I shouldn't do to do the thing that like, this was easy. Walking through that open door was a wide open path. It's going to give me the, exactly the results I want. It's going to get me where I want to go on time. And I would not allow myself just to, to walk through. And yeah. when she told me to do it, that was like my life's permission. I was like, oh my God, I don't want to work here. I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to slow you down a little bit, Kara. So like you walk through that door, like at what point did, did you equate that with, with, with your job? I mean, were, were you on the train and you kind of like thinking back, like, wait, she just let me through that door. Like, like she gave me permission, like kind of, how did you get to that point? Yeah, it was, it was, I think it was the feeling of walking through. And it was realizing that was always available to me. There were in the, 
space of, of me having that conversation with her, probably 15 people just walk through that door. And I would think, oh, why can they do that? But I'm stuck. Why can they do that? But I have to be here. Why can they do that? But I can't break this rule. Why am I so stuck? Why am I so, like, why do I have to listen? Why do I need permission? Right. And so I, what I wanted her to do was activate my past so I could do the entire thing the right way. But when she gave me permission to just like, go do it, go walk through the door. I was like, man, I'm really taking this, this whole life thing so freaking seriously. Like I'm taking this whole job as like, I need to be here. No one's even, no one, there's not even a protocol, by the way. It wasn't even one of those experiences where they were going to make me owe them reciprocity or money for the skills I had learned. The contract was open. I could leave when I wanted to. I had just, in those moments, I recognized like I'm sticking myself here. I'm not leaving because of me. It's me, it's not them. <laughs> the door is wide open. So it was the feeling of freedom, I think that actually shifted me. I think so many of us are stuck in that, in that not stuck, but we don't want to disappoint whether it's a client, our boss, you know what I mean? So we're, we're in this, you know, service industry where we we're trying to make everybody happy, everybody beautiful. And, and then some of the personalities are, are, are like that. They don't want to go uh, make someone feel uncomfortable or feel sad or bring bad news. And, and so they, they end up going through the motion and, and not being happy, but just going through the motion. That's, I mean, that story in itself is worth its weight in gold because, you know, maybe you're going to give somebody courage to actually stand up and, and do something for them and not necessarily always for somebody else. I mean, I know that I struggle, I struggle kind of, I don't, I'm not pointing fingers, Karis, I don't take it that way. But like, you know, the conversation I'd have with myself would be like, well, where's my integrity? I, I owe them because of my own integrity and stuff. And then, you know, but I, but I also understand the struggle of the hustle, you know, like, like we're, we're, I think as an industry, we're finally starting to even recognize that. Cause even if you go like two years back, you know, everything was about hustle culture in our industry, you know, and, 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 and I don't know what the results are. And, and I also think that, that it, it, for us, it's a gender thing too. Like, like, you know, once, once you're taking care of your family, it's hard to, it, it, it's hard as a guy to kind of walk away from that. And I don't think that again, to your point though, I don't think anyone's saying that to us, <laughs> you know, we just don't, we haven't had the permission to kind of like move on or move up or, or, or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I, I know that for me, I've always been so careful to worry about what everyone is going to think. And me walking sure. in and quitting was me giving two weeks notice. <laughs> got it, got and it. I, and I think that the end of how, how things came, came into play for me was really learning that, you know, we do have our own internal guidance system. And this actually connects so much to human design and the work I do now. Like that thing in my body that was like, no more, like this isn't for you. I, I believe if I would have listened to that, I wouldn't have had to fall down a flight of stairs. I don't think I would have had to, like, I could have actually started taking aligned action in my life right then to ap apply for other spaces, look at what's available, reach out to my network. I just didn't, I just didn't listen. 
And so I think that things needed to get extreme for me. And that was always sort of the case. Like when I look at my whole, like the last decade of my life, it was all about, it had to be the most extreme, but I think we can start listening, listening to those subtle internal feelings and take our life in our own hands and truly be okay with disappointing others if it means that we're not going to disappoint ourselves. Hmm. There will be another me to walk through those doors in two days. It was a very popular space that a lot of people wanted to work. And there was someone coming in with two able legs and two able feet and like a a mind that was excited and energy and passion to be there. And Hmm. that was the course that needed to happen. And actually what ended up happening for me, this is the craziest up level, craziest upgrade I may ever receive in my entire life. As I walked out of that salon, I knew that I could have a backup job at Dry Bar because I had had a conversation with the manager a couple months before that. And she said, you can come here. And I still was working at that lounge. I still had, you know, evenings and a couple weekends, a, a, a Sunday brunch shift there. So I had like extra money coming in. I was like, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I can pivot. It's okay. I can figure this out. So I go to dry bar and I have a conversation and I get hired again, sign the paperwork. After I do my blowout test, sign the paperwork, <laughs> leave. I get a phone call from my old boss, Michael Albor from Newberry street. And he says, I know that L'Oreal is hiring for an education manager for a regional education manager. And I think with the background of all of your skills, you would be an incredible, incredible person for the role. And I was like, I don't think, you know, like I'm not like, mm-hmm. I'm an assistant now. Like, I'm like, you don't know like who I've become. Like I'm, I work at a lounge. Like I'm not this like salon manager on Newberry street. I'm not this um, person that works in corporate. Like, like I, I was like, I'm not that what I used to be. And he was like, I never, ever, ever want. He's like, I don't know who's been speaking to you, but I never want you to forget who you are. I never want you to forget how powerful you are. And I ended up going for the interview and um, with some like convincing that like, I'm okay. Like I got this, give it to me. I actually ended up getting this job and it was my dream job. Like I went from cleaning hair out of the drains of a salon to managing a team of like 25 educators. Like it was like, whoa, like this is the craziest upgrade I've ever gotten in my life. Hold on, I'm going to stop you right there because I I, I don't want to miss the moment. Like, what an incredible gift that that Michael gave you. You know, oh what an gosh. incredible gift just to believe in yourself again. And and what you probably didn't have the courage to tell him was the people that were telling you all that stuff was you. Mm-hmm. You know, what just, what incredible grace. Yeah, you're right. It was the things I told myself about the circumstances I was in. It was the things I made it mean that I was a server at a restaurant instead of the person dining there. It was the things I, like, it was how I narrated that story to myself to tell myself a story of not being worthy. And he, in that moment, just, just temporarily, because I still had so many, so much identity work and self worth work to do, but he just kind of shook that up for a minute. and was like, huh, maybe this isn't true. Maybe I'm just as powerful as when I left Boston or more powerful because now I have this incredible skill set and I'm really good at color and understanding color theory. And I also had, you know, I, I temporarily taught, taught yoga for a little while in, in New York. When I first moved there, I got certified to be a yoga teacher. I did so much and none of it made sense, by the way, and this ties back into human design, but like it was all these little odd things that I had done 
that led up to me being like the perfect person for this role. Like to the point where I remember in the interview process, the vice president said to me, well, you don't have, you don't have the skills on paper. So how can I hire you for this job? And he's like, tell me how I, why I need to hire you. And I was like, well, I know that I don't have the 10 years experience in the beauty industry directly. I know that I don't have facilitation skills on stages for as a hairdresser, but I can make 50 people inhale and exhale at the same time in Times Square during the middle of rush hour. I think I can, I can manage a team of people. I think I can tell people how to pick up a pair of shears. Like I've got this, but it was all of my odd skills that came together for this like huge, it felt like the biggest thing I was ever going to get was this, this opportunity to work at L'Oreal, like truly. And I really, I, I sit here in so much gratitude for Michael Alvor and for my old boss for saying yes to me, like giving me that chance. And it was every, it was just everything. That's amazing. And were you able to stay in New York with that job? Yeah. Yes, I was. I worked a year in the field and then I ended up getting to go work for six years inside the New York headquarters uh, directly for um, the vice president actually who had interviewed me. So that was really, really exciting. Um, What was amazing was I was so afraid I was gonna fail and I actually excelled so much that I got to like go get even closer to the work and closer to, because I had such a weird background. I went to school for writing and I knew understood digital and digital marketing and all these weird things from my weird little past that they were like, come inside and do education development with us. And I was like, all right. Wow, that's really cool. How did you end up in human design? So this is, this was, I think the trajectory of my life was always leading me to something a little more spiritual. And I really believe with our passions that if, if we build the context of our life, if we build like what we aim to do in life, if we give it a big enough context, when we aim, we're not going to miss, we're not going to miss our purpose. And why I loved hair and why I loved the beauty industry was because I love making people feel good. I loved that. And I love having a way to express myself like that, that high I got when I watched people walk onto the stage with my hair when I was like 17 years old. I loved that. That was such a fun way to express it. Again, giving that self-love back. And so that was always the, the kind of energy I was casting out into the world. And I thought it would be the beauty industry and I hoped it would be in New York City. Um, but eventually after working in the office for a while, some crazy stuff started happening. Like a lot of my wildest dreams started coming true. I got to teach, I, I got to teach a hair class um, to 2000 hairdressers at a huge event in Orlando. And I also got to do a TED talk for L'Oreal on the L'Oreal stage. And um, all before I was 30, it was like my 29th birthday. I mean, my 30th birthday, so the, the last night I was 29, I did a TEDx talk. And these hitting these really big, pivotal moments in my career were, it was amazing. But I also started realizing that I wasn't feeling the feelings I thought I would have after I achieved these goals. So really after my TED talk, I remember feeling like, oh, I'm still the same person. Life still feels the way it did yesterday. This thing didn't change me and it did I didn't I still feel like something is missing. 
And I decided to go on a little bit of a spiritual quest to figure out who I really was and what it was that would actually ever fill me up. I also, I was raised Catholic. And so when I, when I got a little, you know, 18 and I moved out, I had a hard time understanding like my connection to spirituality, my connection to God, if it wasn't going to be practiced in this church in a specific way. And I think I stayed pretty lost on that through most of my twenties, just not really figuring it out, but always feeling like something was a little bit missing. So I ended up just by saying yes to a couple of the right things, going to an event, like something felt like this event feels good. I'm going to go here. It was an event for entrepreneurs. I wasn't an entrepreneur, but I was like, this sounds cool. I'll go. Meeting, meeting a woman who owned a financial company about financial literacy and getting your finances in order. And I thought, well, that could be a good step for me. So I met her. I decided I'm going to have them work with me in my finances so I can start setting up a better future for myself. Listening to her podcast. This was my first introduction to podcasts. This was 2018. Mm -hmm. And then from that podcast led me to another one, which led me one day when I was driving. Uh, this is just like maybe a month later, two months later, I was driving and it led me to a podcast about human design. And I actually pulled my car over on the side of the highway to look up my energy. I had to know. I like literally was like, I can't keep listening until I know my chart. I have to know. And it was this thing that took over me when I found it. I was like, this is so fascinating. It explains so much about me. It explains so much about my nonlinear path, my nonlinear way of doing things. And I just needed to know everything. And so I booked a reading with a human design reader, but she had a seven month wait list. And then I just started Googling all night. Have you ever found something where you just can't stop Googling about it? It's just like fascinating. Oh, it like captivates you. Life. Yeah, yeah, that's my life. Yeah. 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 It's like from one obsession to the next obsession. So yeah. what is, go ahead, Tony. Wait. Yeah, you're about to say, ask the same question I'm asking. Go ahead. So yeah, so kind of what is human design? Like, like we're layman, you know, kind of explain to us what it is and why we need it in our life. So human design is a combination of modern science, modern science and ancient modalities like astrology, Kabbalah, the chakra system, and then it brings in quantum physics. It's a really, really clear and scientific approach to understand understanding why you are the way you are how to use your energy most effectively i like to say that understanding our design helps us move through time and space and our human experience with the least amount of resistance so it helps you get into flow it helps you understand where you're you know energetically open where you might take in energy from other people as well as where you are defined the parts of you that are you and that you can rely on those stable sturdy parts of you it also teaches us how we're designed to make decisions so we all have something called our inner authority which is our guidance system our pathway i think about it it's almost like a, a built-in gps for us on how to navigate our life mine by the way is my sacral my gut that feeling in my body that says like, yes, move closer to this thing or no back away. So that's actually what was firing off when I talked about that experience of trying to walk up the stairs and my body just being like, we don't want to show up anymore. <laughs> um, and then, you know, within human design, there's so much information you can learn. You can go down to such granular, granular details, like um, how to digest food, where you're would thrive if you lived in the world, like so many things on wow. that level but there's also five 
energy archetypes that we can look at. And I'm excited to share with you what yours are today. Because All right, cool. So this is the this exciting. is the setup. So we we yeah. we uh, we we reached out to Kira to do the podcast, and she wanted to do our readings live on air. We haven't heard them. We don't even we don't know what they are. The only thing that Kira asked from us is where we were born our birth date obviously and what time we were born so that's all the information that we kind of get that's it right Kira? that's all you asked for okay yeah. so so you know the who what when and where it's like writing a book oh, she got my social security number she got my <laughs> bank <laughs> oh i didn't realize you were going to compare what i asked each of you oh. Oh, <laughs> So what we're going to do live on air right now or live right now is, is, is you're going to go through our readings and, and um, I'm kind of excited, man. I've been, we, we gave you our information a few weeks ago. So I've kind of been like, you know, sitting on the edge of my seat, try, can't wait to kind of, you know, learn about myself, learn about Tony, learn about our relationship and, 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 you know, and all that stuff. And I'm sure we'll have a billion questions about, you know, ourselves and, and, and that stuff. So shall we get in? Shall we get in, Tony? You, I'm kind of nervous. I'm not going to lie. I am. I'm afraid I'm going to end up in the chicken coop in your backyard. <laughs> yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited. I, I, I really, really am. What I'll say is I usually don't even pull charts up in advance because the moment I see someone's chart, it's all I can think about is everything that I want to share with them and and communicate out So because there's so much I want you to know. And I, I want to interrupt you for one night. second that, that, that kind of blew me away. So when we were at hair love, Kara was doing readings all the time. And like what I was blown away about is that people know what time they were born. Cause I literally had to go to my birth certificate and go, Oh, okay. Yeah. I was born at 9. AM here, but people actually know these things. A lot of people know it because of astrology. So uh, there's, yeah. So you could, you know, you need your exact birth piece details to get your astrology chart um, and you know what's interesting there's this really weird phenomenon that anytime someone wants a human design reading and they say I don't know my time if they call their mom or text their mom like in the energy of wanting a human design reading they get their birth time within like five minutes it's the strangest thing it'll be like 10 o'clock at night at a bar and someone will be like I'm gonna call my mom and then they get the info Wow. Um, and, and oftentimes their mom will be like, and you were born six pounds, five ounces. Like they give all the moms. All just the details. That's all what happened the to details. me. I asked my mom, I say, mom, what not? and she gave me the answer. That's it. <laughs> the moms, the moms have it. They remember yep. exactly when, or they help, they'll have the birth certificate. So yeah. So let's, so let's get into it. So in human design, we have five energy archetypes. And the energy types are how we're energetically exchanging with the world. It's kind of like our energy is almost like our internal software, how, how we run from the inside. And each energy type comes here with certain themes, certain ways that we're meant to move, move through the world and a certain sort of purpose in, inside of their type. And the first type I want to talk about is called manifestors. And manifestors are the initiators. Out of the five energy types, the manifestors are the ones that they come here to get stuff done. And when we go back to the beginning of time in human design, we have manifestors really as the leader or the king. They've always been the one that was sort of in charge. There's typically about one manifestor per community per tribe. And the manifestor is the one that says, like, this is what needs to happen. And then the people respond the people do nowadays manifestors are here to cultivate peace 
They're here to create on their own timeline. They're here to make things that feel good for them. And it's not so much about becoming an authority or these, you know, these, these leaders and guiding everyone and having power over the people. It's very much about them having power over their own life, getting in their own lane and, and creating and making things in the world that were not here before them. Now, what's interesting to know about manifestors is they have a little bit of a selective aura. And what I mean by this is we think back in the day, if you have one manifestor in your tribe who has this superpower of initiation, the superpower of manifestation ability, meaning like they say they're going to do something or they say something needs to happen and it actually is able to be made manifest. It's a superpower. We don't want anyone to overthrow this manifestor in the middle of the night when they're sleeping. We don't want someone who's jealous being like, no, the manifestor, you know, can't, it needs needs to leave. I want to be the leader. So the manifestor's aura is designed to almost push out anybody who would want to cause them harm. And the thing about our manifestors is that they move through the world from a very young age with a really big, powerful aura that sometimes rubs people the wrong way. And I see and I work with many different manifestors at different levels of their lives. Some manifestors, they know they're a manifestor. They're like, yeah, I agree. I'm super powerful. I know. I, I feel it. I say I want something. I say I'm going to manifest something and it happens. And then I have other manifestors who from a young age kind of surrendered back their power and said, I just want to be, you know, I want to please people. I want, I want people to like me. It's almost like they'll exchange power for amicability. So these are the two types of manifestors that I do see. So if you're hearing this and you're a manifestor and you're like, well, I don't resonate with that powerful initiator one. I want you to look at the areas in your life right now where you're holding back your power, where you're trying to shrink so that others don't feel small around you. Uh, the biggest thing a manifestor can do for themselves in their lives is decide that they're okay. Who would, whoever likes them, whoever doesn't like them, no problem. They're going to create what they want to create. And we actually do have a manifestor sitting here with us today. And I'll give you a hint. It is not me. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a manifestor. Um, our manifestor present with us today is Tony. And when this chart came up for Tony, I was a little surprised uh, because Tony, and this is, if you've had the pleasure to meet Tony in person, his aura is so warm and it's so inviting. And it's the kindest, I thought this, this, this man has to be a pure generator, which we'll talk about what that means, but there's something so glowy about his aura. When I looked a little deeper into your chart, Tony, what I do see is that you have an energy of love love of humanity, love of the world, love of animals, love of children. And this energy, it's called gate 15, a specific energy in you that actually radiates out through your aura. So from an aura perspective, you actually do feel like love. You've got the power of a manifestor, the, initi the initiator power of manifestor, but love running through your veins. And what's super cool about your chart is that you're what's called an ego manifester. An ego manifester is all about timing. So this means essentially that the heart ego, which is defined in your chart, this represents the center of willpower for you. This is when you say you're going to get something done, you do it. Tony Robbins has a gigantic defined heart ego, which means he has the ability to motivate people, to move people in, 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 in any direction that he chooses, he can inspire people when they're around him, they feel 
almost like flooded with his motivation and his inspiration that they like, Ooh, like I want to change my life. Yes. I'm going to sell my car. Like, it, like it actually transfers. So you have this big, gorgeous defined ego and for you, how you're meant to make decisions is by listening to when the timing feels right. So the questions you want to ask yourself is like, do I feel rested? Do I feel ready? Does this feel right? And when it's right, go for it. But you're on your own timing. You know, we live in a world that's predominantly generators and manifesting generators. And I'll talk a little more about what those are, but I'm a manifesting generator. We make consistent life force energy, which means we can work nine to five, no problem. We can work all day. I used to put in 16 hour day, you know, 12 hour days were nothing for me. Like I would just work all day and it's all right. I got this life force energy that keeps kind of regenerating itself as long as I'm connected to the work I love. Well, for manifestors, your energy is going to come in spurts. There may be days where you feel super creative and you feel like you could just work the whole day and then the next day you want to crash, right? Or there could be a couple hours where you're really turned on, you're really activated by life, you've got so many ideas, you want to do it and execute, and then you spend the rest of the day burned out. So manifestors do create in cycles. Is this resonating with you at all? 100%. 100%. It's funny because some of the things that you're saying, like I, even, even when I was a young hairdresser, uh, it's probably one of the biggest compliments I think I've ever, ever received. Um, you know, we were just start growing this company and I came to him, I said, you know, we need to create this. And he goes, uh okay well then uh create it and he allowed me to create it help create it and and today it's like you know the company is like 15 salon strong and their cutting uh department is uh probably second to none in the in the area but what the compliment was is that he told i don't know if he told a friend or my brother or somebody he goes he exactly what you say he goes he goes tony uh doesn't necessarily just say it uh tony he gets it he'll he'll get it done and 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 it never really dawned on to me until like what you're saying now like it just it i can i can feel it and i i i i i, I feel it it's you know it yeah i don't know what to say but it, yeah that's that's pretty amazing wow i what that's kind of shocking, right? You said you were shocked, but. Yeah, I was surprised. Well, I was surprised because of, and I don't mean this to offend any manifestors out there at all, but there's a certain energy to a generator type where like when they're in their flow and they're doing what they love, they just feel really glowy and you want to kind of like get, you want to stand in their aura. There's something about even manifestors when they're great, they're good, but there's something about a manifestor. Sometimes where you're like, Ooh, whoa, who's that? Right. It kind of puts, it almost puts you off a little, but I was like, Tony's, he's gotta be a generator type. He feels like his aura is so nice, but it's this energy of just love that runs through the veins that shifts the whole thing. That's more why I was surprised. I'm not surprised there's a manifestor among this group of a, of a super successful podcast. With, with how many episodes have you done? Uh, like 400. 400 episodes. Like that staying power that like, that's, I, I'm really, I'm blown away. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think that it's not surprising from any other aspect other than just 
the aura like was like, like you threw me off because I I really yeah. think I'm good at reading people's aura. Fooled <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> so I want, I'm going to pivot from the manifestors for a moment, and I want to share about the generators. There's generators, pure generators, pure generators, and there's manifesting generators. If you are a generator type, it's an incredible thing because it means that you are the one that makes energy for the planet. So generators are responsible for life force energy. What this means is, is that like we have an engine almost like our, our sacral, our gut is almost like an engine inside of us that every day just gets revved with new energy and we wake up kind of ready to go. Our biggest gift to the planet is that we stay in good energy. I think of the generator types. It's almost like we're a pot of coffee and every other person that you pass on the street has an empty cup and you're going to pour your coffee into their cup. So whatever life force energy you're making, that's what you give to other people. So that's your number one responsibility is you got to stay lit up. You got to make the coffee that you love to drink. You got to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. You got to make sure that you're, you're saying yes to the things in your life that are going to light you up and no to the things that aren't so that you can serve at a higher level. And the most powerful thing for generators and manifesting generators is our sacral response. So we're here to respond to the world. We're here to say yes or no. We're not necessarily here to make stuff up. Like for Tony, for an example, who's thinking about a business idea that's just gonna go execute. For, for me as a, as a sacral, sacral being, I'm meant to like talk it out with someone else until I get that internal response from an external thing. We do rely on external circumstances to really feel our truth. That would be the biggest, the biggest difference between manifesting generators and pure manifestors. Now, what separates the generators from the manifesting generators is that gen generators are here to have a more linear path. So both types are obsessed with work and obsessed with how they contribute to the planet. But generators are going to do things in more of a step one, two, three, four, five situation. And they also have the capability for mastery, to become the true masters of their craft and to stay in something for a really, really long time. The manifesting generators, like me, we're here to have a nonlinear path. And I think about our path as very much like we're um, rather than going up a straight staircase, we're almost taking the spiral staircase where skills start to stack up on top of each other and we can still rise and we still grow and we can still be incredibly successful, but we don't do it in a, in a point A to point B kind of way. It's much more fluid and it's very nonlinear. And this is exactly what was happening for me when I pivoted and I decided I was ready to leave that salon, how I was able to get that job where it was like, whoa, now in this position? Well, yes, because of the seven years of work experience that I had leading me up for that moment ended up making me the right candidate, even though it wasn't 10 years working behind the chair, right? So there's these nonlinear steps we take that end up adding up to the whole. Now, I want to talk about projectors. So the generator types make energy. We're here to have lasting, beautiful careers. We're here to do the things we love. We're energy makers. This is how we're, we exchange with the world. The projectors are non-energy beings. 
And my best example I can give for projectors, it's kind of a, a little bit of a story, but I want to, I want my projectors to imagine that you are a bird born in a community of squirrels. The squirrels represent the generator types, which make up 70% of the population. And this bird looks around from the moment it's born and all it sees is squirrels. And so it starts watching what the squirrels are doing. And the squirrels are all about acorns. They climb up the trees, they grab the acorns, they bury the acorns in the dirt, they hide, the, they get the acorns, they bury the acorns, and this is what they do. So the bird decides, all right, I get the game of life, it's all about acorns, I'm gonna go do it too. So they use their little claws, they climb up the tree like the squirrels, they go, they dig through the ground with their beak, they bury their acorn until one day they're walking by the river and they catch a glimpse of their reflection and they're like, oh, I'm a bird? I'm not even a squirrel? What? And they realize like, wait, I have wings. I guess I could fly. So they fly up above the forest and from that perspective, from that space, they look down and they realize that all the good acorns are an acre away. And they also notice while they're up there that their squirrel friends are not being the most productive. It'd probably be a lot better if there was some sort of assembly line of sorts, if maybe someone from the tree dropped the acorn down to someone else. He's smiling because he knows it's him. This is Corey. Corey's our bird. I'm the bird. I'm the bird. So projectors are here to lead and guide us. The thing is, is that you must first be recognized by the squirrels, by the rest of us. You have to be recognized before we ask for your guidance. And so embodiment, I talk about embodiment a lot for projectors. It's really important that you not just have that moment of self-recognition in the river where you see yourself, you recognize yourself, you understand your gifts, your vision, right? That big picture vision, how important it is, but that you also get so busy going and being that. Like start being the thing that you want to preach about and tell other people about. And when you're in the sky, you better bet when you come down, people are going to be lining up asking you what you saw up there. You can guide us all to a different forest, better assembly lines after we've seen you fly, but you need the street credit. And so what happens for a lot of projectors is they know they have something, they know they have good guidance, but they stand on the ground in the middle of the forest, flapping their wings, yelling at everybody, listen to me, I have wings, I have wings. And the squirrels go, nah, we're not. I don't, I don't get why I got to listen to you. So it's very much about being invited in and the invitations come from being the embodiment of the thing that you want to share with everyone. Yeah, I feel that a lot, actually. Um, and it, it, it's, it's weird because I think that, you know, I was damn near 50 before, you know, I realized that that we could we could offer more, you know, Um I think that, uh, that, you know, until again, mid forties or, or 50, like I was, I don't want to use the word content cause it wasn't content, but I, I, I was, I was where I was, you know, with lots of dreams, but kind of not knowing or, or, or talking myself, you know, out of them or like the, like, like, like the self conversations that we have, you know, um, kind of that. And then it was honestly, you know, it was, it was a, a little bit of, of learning, um, just, just general learning, not even about me, but it just kind of gave, it gave me confidence. You know, it was like, I wasn't a very confident person until I was about 40. And then it was like that, that's even when I started to like understand what, what confidence looked like. And then, um, and then being able to build on that. Um, and it was really kind of, honestly, it was like starting the podcast that was kind of like, okay, now this is, this feels purposeful. This feels why this feels like, like we can, we 
we can help or or or, or why i mean it, it, it pretty the story that you told about the bird is pretty much the trajectory of the podcast and the why and the need and all that kind of stuff yeah oh, i love that and and i think i think the thing that can be incredibly limiting when we look into the traditional way that we speak about projectors and human design is that your strategy in life is wait for the invitation that's the strategy. If you look up, if you're just to go on Google and look up, what do I do as a projector? How do I navigate my energy in the best way? It would say, wait for the invitation, but you didn't wait for the invitation. You well, I think I, I think invited I waited, yourself. Well, I th hold on. I think I waited for the invitation for a lot, a lot of years. Yeah. For a lot of years, I was kind of like, I kept, I mean, I remember being in my twenties and, and, and having a conversation with myself going like, well, people in their thirties figure it out. And then I got to my thirties and I go, huh. I haven't figured it out yet, you know, and then, well, maybe you figure stuff out when you're in your forties. And then, you know, I guess it was like, you know, again, there was a path during the thirties that led me to my, here's the thing about generational stuff is like your twenties prepare you for your thirties, your thirties prepare you for your forties and your forties prepare you for the fifties. And I'll assume that's going to carry on for the rest of our lives. Right. But, but it was, um, but it, it was the keep on waiting till you figured it out and, and never having the responsibility to myself to, or the understanding that, you know, no, you need to figure it out. You know, so I, I think that I, 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 I don't know if it's invitation necessarily, but, 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 but just kind of waiting, waiting, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? Like I was, I was believing in, in the linear, the linearness of life, but I've learned that, that for me, that's, it's not the linear of life. It, it's the, it's to go out there and, and get stuff, but you know, it's interesting. And I don't know if you said it about generators or projectors, but, um, the back and forth, like, like the more that I, that, that I obsess about something or the more that I learn, even if it has nothing to do with me or nothing to do with, with hair or nothing to do with, 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 um, with, with podcasting, it's the, the assembly of all that stuff gives you the full life to whatever's next. Yeah. I, if I'm hearing you right, I feel like you're, you're saying almost like, dive into the thing that feels like the most next aligned thing that you're passionate about. I can't, then, I can't tell you why I'm obsessed about stuff, but yeah. I'm obsessed about them. And, yeah. and I know that, I know that I'm a fuller person from whatever that obsession is. And like some yeah. of the stuff doesn't align. Like I did a two year study of Malcolm X. You know, I did, I, I, I read books about every president that I could possibly read about. I'm absolutely obsessed with John Wilkes Booth. Don't ask me why. But I am, you know, so there's this history thing, but, you know, I'm also obsessed with TikTok videos, you know, like, I don't, I don't know what it is, like, like stuff that doesn't necessarily make sense, but I know that I'm a fuller person because of it. Um, and, and I know that, I know that it, it speaks to my soul for whatever reason, but what I try not to do is to resist that obsession and to kind of dive in because I know that whatever's on the other side is what's supposed to be next. I got a question about the manifester. It's. Tony didn't hear anything after you said he's a manifester. He's been like obsessing about it. Yeah. Well, no, nah, it's because like, it's funny. Cause you know, when I had the idea about the, the, whatever the, the cutting program and we got that up and running. Then I did. And then, then I moved on. Right. And then I had a obsession of, I wanted to, I love barbecue. So I said, you know what? I'm going to create a barbecue team. 
and I created a barbecue team and we were, we were actually winning, which I was, I was kind of shocked, but we were winning. And then, uh, and then I guess the pandemic hit, uh, and then we just stopped doing competition, whatever, uh, we started doing the podcast and, uh, and, uh, that's all we do now. We think about it as the podcast, but it's, is it, and the manifest, like you, like you said, creative or whatever, you have an idea and you, and you create something, is it, can you just get tired of that as easily and move on to create something else? Or is it, no, I'm, I'm so curious. Yeah, I think that it's, it's both. I think sometimes it's, you create something and it's short term and that your energy is meant to create it, let it have its life, either pass it to someone else so it can continue, or you're going to, you're going to shift your life force energy to something. You're going to move it to something else. Um, and then there's times when you create something and with the right team, like a, a, a Tony with Corey, who's big vision, looking at what's next for the podcast. Like what, what how are we going to keep this alive? That's when we, cre that's when we can create systems that just last that, that have so much staying power, a manifester kind of at the helm with that, like beautiful initiation power of like, Hey, this could be maybe, and maybe, and it's interesting how you could work together, but maybe for an example, Corey could give you like, Oh, here's where we should go next. And Tony, you're like, yeah, all right, let's make, let's manifest that. Let's make that happen. It happens all the time. I think yeah. the two of you working together is such a brilliant team. I actually have um, a set of, um, of some of my best friends, their sisters called how to be a redhead is their company. And they're a manifester and a projector um, at the helm of the business. And they've grown it like just so incredibly over the past 10 years uh, as, as a manifester and projector duo. It's very, very powerful. And it's also rare. Manifestors are about six to 10% of the population, maybe. Projectors come in around 23%. Um, so the odds of getting the two of you together in, in one business is actually, it's quite rare. Oh, that's pretty cool, man. What's the, uh, what's the, so are you, what air five? Yeah. Uh, what's the, um, so we have a manifesto generator and a projector. What's the fourth one and which apparently nobody in the room is. So, um, the, the last one we didn't talk about is the, um, reflector. So we talked about generator and manifesting generator as well as manifester and projector. And then the reflectors are so rare. They're actually less than 1% of the population. So I wasn't expecting to find one here today. Their entire body. So it, when you look at it in a human design chart and maybe some people who are listening have already been inspired to pull up their own, but you're gonna see nine energy centers inside the body. And wherever an energy center is white, it represents where it's open. This is where you take in energy from other people. A reflector's entire body is open, which means they take in energy from everybody. And their role back in the day was to kind of be the one that sat in the center of the tribe and absorbed the well-being and the vitality of the entire community. And that you could go see into this one person's eyes and you would know our tribe as well, our community as well, or Ooh, we're not doing so well based off of just this the expression of this one person and you know again nowadays but reflectors are bombarded by all of the media by everything that's happening in the world that it actually can be way too much to reflect back so what's really important for them is taking alone time 
really curating their environment, making sure that they're in an environment that they love and that they're spending time with people that they love because their aura is kind of like the ocean. I want you to think like their, their top layer, the ocean, the, the surface of the ocean is going to reflect whatever the sky is doing. So if you have a sunset, they'll reflect the sun. If you have moonlight, the moon, birds, perfect. Boats, yes. Dolphins, jumping, sure. But below the surface of that water is their entire ecosystem. They have their own personality traits and gifts and skills and things they came here to learn. And so it's important for them to spend time in their own ecosystem, nourishing, replenishing. But it's really important for them to consider who they are reflecting on the outside layer. And that's who they, you know, who they surround themselves with and, and the environments that they're in. So if you're listening to this and you're a reflector, I'm sending you so much love because I know these times are a little crazy and just get really selective about who, about who's in your world. Mm, I love that. So um, we're uh, with a projector and a generator, or I'm sorry, with a projector and a manifesto, where is our like light source? So you pick up life force energy from everyone around you that has sacral energy. So this means that in your families, there could be another generator. This is, this is a projector? When, yeah, for projectors okay. and manifestors, both of you, you don't create life force sacral energy. That you borrow, that you borrow from others. And so actually one of the most important tips for projectors, manifestors are gonna kind of be on their own, their own timing. But for projectors, it's really important to know that you are so potent when you work a couple hours a day, you are so incredibly potent. You can get more done in three hours than most people get done in a whole day's time. And then it's okay to take time to rest. It's okay to take time to step back and look at the big picture because again, when you are doing, and I call it squirrel work or acorn work, when you're work work working, like that's like beak in the ground stuff. That's when you're doing things that, that's gonna take your energy from you. It's when you give yourself the ability to step back and go fly up in the sky, that's what creates the magnetism. That's, that's where you really thrive. So giving yourself a couple of hours of, of work a day and then giving yourself more time for vision, spaciousness, rest, healing, recovery. And as I said, you know, the tips for Tony would be more like, allow yourself to work in spurts. Manifestors might, it's almost a little bit more manic and a little chaotic. It might not even make sense. It's like, yeah, I'm just on to something right now. I want to work. I'm going to work until three in the morning. I'm going to rest all day tomorrow. That's a beautiful thing. When you're, when you're, when you're on, you're on, when you're off, you're off. But where you pick up light, where you pick up life force energy spark is going to be from the world around you. So this is so important. This is actually such an important tip. If you have a day, say, where you're like, I'm going to sit in all day by myself and just edit, and you're feeling like, I'm a little drained, go to a coffee shop. Go to a coffee shop, go get a cup of coffee. You don't even need the coffee. You're just going to pick up energy by being around other people with life force energy. You absorb, both of you, absorb life force energy from, all, from the other types, and then you transmute it, and you turn it into something that you can use. And the good thing about it is that it's everywhere. 70% of the population is generators. So you're going to find them. Go walk around a grocery store. Go walk in the park. You're going to pick up life force energy. And then you want to give yourself breaks because you can also overdo it. And you could almost get energetically hijacked to the point where when you're with, you were with everyone, you're like, yeah, but like maybe when you felt this at the retreat, there's so many people around, you're like, of course I'll do this. Of course I'll do that. Whatever. And then you come home and you're like, whoa, <laughs> that, was, that was a lot. I'm exhausted. So 
there's the we know we want to consciously take in life force energy and then also give your, yourself time to to rest and reset mm. i love this dude so cool yeah. can you uh, like even when you're like describing our habits or like or how 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 we work i mean i i think you're you're kind of spot on i mean it's like it, it, like a lot of times i am chaotic I, i'll just i'll get it all done and I'll stay up all night and yeah. And then just crash the next day. And Corey's like, you know, busy, 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 busy. It's just, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, and you know, what's interesting for you, um, Tony, you actually in your profile, um, you come up, the profile is a sort of like our costume we wear in the world or our outward trajectory. Your profile is the hermit opportunist. So one side of you very much needs alone time to be with yourself, to almost like this is where you're the most creative. This is where you kind of find your magic is when you're by yourself. And then your community kind of draws it out of you and they call you forward to come participate in things. The other side of you, the opportunist, this part's a social butterfly. So there's another part of you that needs to be around people that loves to network, that needs community. And inside of Corey's specific energies, he actually has a lot of energy around cultivating community, a lot of tribal energy, a lot about bringing people together. So it's such it's such a beautiful pair. Um, and Corey, I'll share with you, your profile is the investigating murder. The investigating side, this is the part of you describe. I don't know why I get obsessed with things. I just can't stop learning. I wanna know everything. The investigator wants the details, the information, in fact, when you're going to plan something, like the investigator of you will want kind of all the details before you begin. The martyr side of you, and I wish there was a different word to describe this, but the martyr side of you, the reason it's called a martyr is because when you make a mistake, you make that mistake on behalf of yourself, but everyone connected to you is actually going to benefit from the lesson you extract from what went wrong. So the martyr learns by making mistakes. And every time you fail, you actually learn what could be done differently. And failure oftentimes is your pathway to success. Now, these two sides, there's duality because the investigator doesn't want to start until you know you're going to get it right. The martyr knows it needs to make a mistake to start. And so sometimes there could be this sort of push-pull energy of like, oh, I feel I'm ready. Oh, we're not ready. Oh, but I want to go anyway. And it's like, yeah, sometimes the, the name of the game is just fail faster. Because the faster you fail, the faster you can extract the lessons about what worked, what didn't work, and what you're going to do differently next time. And that's how you get to the top. That's how you succeed. Wow. Yeah, I feel that. You know, one, one of my commitments about failure, I think we've talked about it on the podcast before. One of my commitments now is like when I fail is to feel, you know, mm -hmm. um, because so many, so often, like when a mistake was made or or there's for lack of a better word, a failure, like our instinct is to point fingers, you know, and, 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 and what you're doing is you're just, you're, you're pushing on those feelings, you know, you're pushing those feelings onto someone else. And, and to me, I think that that slows down your learning opportunities, you know? So if you feel it, you go, okay, so this is real, you know? And, um, you know, I, a couple of years ago, there, there was one of those and, and Tony and I were talking and I was like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm good. But I'm going to I'm going to feel it for a minute, you know, because I want to make sure that I feel it because I don't want to repeat that mistake. And I think if I push on the the feelings, then I, I, I've missed the opportunity to to learn from that. 
you have just described, I want to quote this, I want to put this for whenever I speak to an investigator martyr, you have just described everything I try to communicate with the importance of the space after an event, good or bad, after, after a failure, especially the importance of the space between and extracting the lessons. So often, as you said, the failure happens and people either point fingers or they bury it really deep within themselves. They make it mean that they, they'll never You're be ready. Of both. Not. <laughs> you know, we're, I'm guilty of both, you know, but it wasn't until I go, okay, let's, let, let's, let's address this and, and feel it and, and, and live in it for a little bit. I don't, I don't beat myself up from it, but I use it as the lesson. Okay. I'm feeling this now let's feel it. And then we can move on from it. And I also think it's quicker healing too, in a weird way. It's harder healing, but it's quicker healing. And how long, if I can ask, how long have you consciously been giving yourself the space to do this? Oh, probably, probably eight years, you know, or so. You know? And I mean, does this coincide with you also taking the driver's seat of your life? And Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, that, 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 that's a whole nother podcast and we have a drop dead here in a second, but, um, but yeah, 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 yeah. I've been on a journey since about, um, early to mid thirties and, you know, I thought I could figure it all out in a month, but you know, here I am in my um, you know, <laughs> early fifties and, you know, I'm still, it's still working on it, but, um, but yeah, it's, 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 uh, yeah. Like I said, that could be a whole other podcast that we could do about, <laughs> about my, about, about leaving belief systems, which is what life comes down to is just leaving one belief system into another. See, this is why, this is why the profile is called the martyr. Although I wish it was a different word because the lessons you learn become our lessons too. So I'm very glad you have a podcast because when you share it out and you storytell, this is how the rest of us get to get it right. And you said it's been, you started at 30, you know, mid thirties and you're like, I can't believe I'm still doing it. Well, you get to transfer a lot of that wisdom. Everyone listening gets to pick up a piece of that wisdom and, and calibrate to it. If they're, if they're open and that's the blessing. It's so weird, Tony, cause I'm having, I have to, you know, Tony and I talk about, you know, because now the roles in our life is, 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 is the wisdom roles. Right. So I'm, 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 Tony and I talk a lot about like the conversations that we have to have with the, with the people that are in our life. And I have to have one of those conversations today. So this is a, this is actually a really good, like lead into a, to one of those conversations today. So um, I, and I, it's I, funny because I, you know, when you, when you say love, I mean, that's probably ever since we were kids, Corey, I mean, it's probably one of my strengths. Like Completely. I, when I, when I love something or love the person it's I'm all in, you know, not just, I'm not talking about relationship with me, you know, with my wife or whatever, all that, but just with my friends and, you know what I mean? The company, the, the people, the, uh, yeah, it's. Yeah. That's, no. that's 100% Tony superpower. You know, that's his, that's his, that's his, uh, that's his superhero cape. You know, his superhero mm -hmm. cape has a big heart on it, you know? If you can see it, if you can't see it, you know, you might not feel that love from Tony, but if he lets you see that, <laughs> right. man, you're in. Like, there's no, but the cool thing with Tony is like, you know where you stand, you know? I, sometimes I have to talk him off a cliff, but, you know, but you know, but, but, but you know where he stands, you know? It, it's, it, it's amazing. I mean, I, I, I often tell the story that my daughter and Tony's cousins are best friends. 
which is such an odd kind of it's odd it's odd from an outsider but but inside the family you understand you know like like tony's cousins are my cousins and i'm cousins with them and they would only refer to me as a cousin even though we have no blood but that's wow. that's because of tony's big heart kind of brought you know manifest dude i used the word it kind of manifests all of that yeah it's pretty cool yeah. you know. uh, I, yes i love i love that well that's a sign that you are fully living your purpose well we got to come up and have coffee with you and dive into this further i yeah, am so really. fascinated yeah. i am too i'm kind of ready to do another podcast about it so uh um, right i think yeah. uh, i think we i think we could do that um you know what we should do uh kira if, if, if i'm asking permission is um we have a third member of our team would you would you do her reads as well yes and we could do another yes. podcast about it and we could like do like all three of us and how we work together maybe we could help us tony just understand yeah. how each other uh, uh, operates or ticks or talks or whatever. All right, yeah. cool. Kira, we have a drop dead. We've got to fly. How can people find you? Uh, God, I'm so excited to do your team, by the way. Um, I'm uh, at Meeting Your Magic on Instagram, uh, the podcast Meeting Your Magic. And I have a, uh, a free link in my bio if we become Instagram friends to generate your, your body graph chart. So all you need is your birth details. If this was interesting to you, it's such a mission of mine to create free resources about human design. I think back to who I was when I moved to New York City, living on a couch, couldn't afford a banana. And I know that if I would have had tools like this, it really would have helped me take the wheel of my life a little bit more. Um, and so Meeting Your Magic is is this place on all the socials everywhere, the website. I love that it. name too. That's really that's really cool. Hey, have you ever done um have you ever done a Tabitha's uh, a, a chart? Yes, I have. We have the same energy type. We're both manifesting generators. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. We have a call with Tabitha soon, so I can't wait to chat with her. Um, Kira. Oh, yeah, you have to tell her your projector and manifester. She's gonna, she's gonna die. Oh, that'd be awesome. We have yeah. to that, Tony. We have to bring that up in conversation. Um, Kira, thank you so much. Thanks for hanging out with us. This is so interesting, and, and I'm serious, man. I we could do another thirty minutes uh, with Katie and, and and talk about it, and 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 almost like a. It's almost I, I kind of see it as like a, as like couple counseling, you know. But it'll be the three of us and kind of how we can yes. kind of, you know, figure each other's love languages out or or, or something. Uh, I love that. There's so much more. I mean, I feel like I could talk to the both of you for, I think you said you had a 24 hour podcast once. I got, I got <laughs> oh, let's, let's do it, man. That's awesome. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I'm so excited. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been such an honor and I'm uh, excited to chat. Well, the honor's ours. For real. Yeah. yeah. So glad we got to meet in, uh, in, 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 at hair love and, and chat it up. Thank you so much. So, Miss Kira Doyle, thank you very, very much for joining us on your day off. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, share it with friends, give us a rating, and drop a review. To listen to all the latest podcasts, please subscribe from your favorite podcast outlet. And to stay connected on and off the show, you can follow us at Hairdistry on Instagram and all other social media platforms. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Peace and love.